is Off Script with Trish Glose, intimate interviews and conversations with interesting people. In front of my mic today, Kylie Evans, winemaker at Two Hawk Winery. You just made a really big assumption that I'm actually interesting. I did, Come sir. Come on. Well, too bad. I don't know about that. You were on we'll my see. list. You were on my list of people to interview. So to me, you're interesting. Well, I am so happy to be here, Trish, and I really appreciate you uh, giving me a call. Thank you. Thank you for being here. You are the first and only guest so far who has brought treats. Should we open that now? Um, I think so. No, let's do it. All right. It's only, what, 1030 in the morning? Yeah, it's like 1040. You're golden. You're a winemaker. You do this all the time. Well, I've already done some of this this morning, in fact. <laughs> You've already tasted wine this morning? Yeah, I, yeah, I did. We've, we're getting ready to bottle next week, so we're uh, doing some final adjustments to uh, some chemical parameters of the wines in preparation for bottling. So nice. whenever I do that, I always like to make sure you know we're not going too far with mm -hmm. anything. So I started tasting wine about 8.45 this morning. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I tasted six wines and then took a break and then came back and tasted three more. So. Is your is your palate, your tongue, your taste buds, are you even like ready for, I mean, is there, does it matter when you taste wine? I would just think at 845, you're just not there up here. You know, I personally, and I don't know if it's like this for everybody, okay. but personally, I prefer to taste wines earlier in the day because I feel like I'm fresher and sharper mm -hmm. rather than after I've had lunch when I kind of, you know, you have lunch, you've been working all day, you have lunch and you're like, uh, right, right. I need a cup of coffee to jazz myself back up. <laughs> But um, in the morning like that, I'm usually pretty, you know, pretty fresh and ready to go. Okay, well, here's a question. Do you brush your teeth before you taste? Yeah, I brush my teeth every morning when I first get up, but I usually will have a cup of coffee. Okay, so we're talking teeth have been brushed, but you have, like, good coffee mouth going. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair, legitimate question. Okay, hey, first of it all, is. cheers, cheers to you. Yeah. What Good did morning. you what did you bring this morning? So this is a sample of the Two Hawk 2016 um, reserve level Malbec that we call the Darrow series Malbec. Oh snap. Yeah, this is awesome. You did stuff. not hold back. You brought the good stuff. No, well, it's you. I mean, come on, Trish. You think I'd well. be you think I'd be bringing water in here for you? <laughs> I know better than that. Some mm. So this, I've actually, we have I tasted this before or no? Um, you may have. We may have had a, a barrel sample of this at one of the wine club events or something maybe that you were at or, or at some other point mm. um, in the tasting room. But, uh, yeah, we're going to bottle this next week, and this will be released as a, a special sort of add-on to the wine club package this coming November. Okay. Well, we're going to talk a lot about wine, especially, and Two Hawk. Um, did, you, did everybody hear that? You did the fancy winemaker thing that I can't do because I choke. Let's let's hear it again. One okay. more time. One more time. This will be good for this will be good for all of the audio listeners. That's good. That was a good one too. So what is we'll talk about that later. Okay. I think I know what it does. I just okay. can't do it and I'm very jealous. Oh, you um, don't have to be jealous. I like to start out all of my conversations with my interesting people. Where are you from originally? So I was born in Milton, Florida. <clears throat> okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a really small town in the panhandle of Florida, just outside Pensacola. Wow. Okay. Uh, and I was raised in that area of the world. So Northwest Florida, Southern Alabama, Southern Mississippi. Uh, my dad's originally from Yazoo City, Mississippi. My mom's originally from Evergreen, Alabama. In fact, my mom still lives on her family farm in Evergreen, Alabama. They call it the little tiny community where she lives is called Brownville. 
-hmm. and my mom's maiden name is Brown. So there's a giant Brown family contingent. I think that's why they call it Brown. Right. Uh, but yeah, she still lives on the family farm there. Yeah. So, you know, I'm from South Carolina. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So you're, we're both in good company today because we really are. We're, we're both two Southern kids. There's something about the South. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. But um, I think every town and not every town that's mean, but there's a lot of towns in the South that are either somethingville, somethingburg, something, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's they're all over the place. Yeah, I think there's a Spartanburg and a Fayetteville in every southern state. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. It's amazing that there aren't more you know high school mascots that are Spartans and everything. But, exactly. You know. So what was your childhood like? Um, you know, I had what I considered to, at the time to be a relatively normal childhood. You know, I mean, my parents were married almost 50 years. You know, they were um, until my dad passed away. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Uh, uh, it was it was pretty exciting. You know, we lived, spent a lot of time outdoors. You know, a lot of hunting, a lot of fishing, mm -hmm. um, a lot of uh, bike riding, and just you know running around the neighborhood playing with the other kids in the neighborhood. You know, um, there was no such thing as a helmet for your bike at that time. No, you know, uh, and uh, uh, we, we used to race BMX bikes and mm -hmm. you know and do all kinds of stupid stuff. Yeah. You know, baseball, basketball, football, the whole. I love it. You know, anything our parents could do to get us out of the house. Totally. You know, was they were all about that. You know, and we did have helmets. They were just our heads. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, um, you grow up where you've got all these great scars to remind you of all the fun times mm -hmm. you had. And, you know, the next thing you know, you're, you know, you're, you're doing the same thing with your children, although I don't have any. But, right. you know, that's the rumor. War wounds. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, you don't need tattoos when you got great war wounds no. like that. They tell know. a story for sure. They really do. So your parents, you said, were together for 50 years? Yeah. Wow. When did your dad pass away? Uh, my dad passed away uh, a couple of years ago uh, in 2014. Okay. Were um, you all close? Um, you know, it, it's funny. We were really close when I was really, really young. Uh, and then I, I think it's typical. I don't know. But... You know, when I got to be of a certain age, we kind of drifted apart, you know, because I thought I knew everything, you know. And, and then as my dad got older and as I got older and realized that, hey, my dad's a pretty smart guy and he's probably given me a lot of great advice that I ignored. Maybe I should mm -hmm. start trying to get a little bit more of that from him. So we, we got a lot closer uh, as, uh, as I got older. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> was his passing, was that a surprise? Did it hit you weird? Um. You know, it wasn't necessarily a surprise, um, but it you're never prepared for something like that. No. You know, uh, my dad had a long, you know, a, a five or six year battle with cancer. Mm. Uh, and so we knew it was coming. You know, you just don't, you're never prepared for it when no. it really, you know, when it really, really does happen. And uh, I was really, um, I was really quite lucky uh, when, um, when he kind of went down for the last time. Uh, just before that happened, my mom called me and she said, hey, your dad's having some problems. You should come visit, you know, because we were in Oregon uh, and they were living in Alabama. And uh, and I so I kind of figured out what I could do and, and mm -hmm. said, all right, I'm going to I'm going to go back for, you know, three or four or five days just to see my dad and, and you know, hang out for a little while. Right. And uh, it wasn't very long. Uh, it was the, the second day after I flew back that he went into the hospital uh, and didn't come out. And uh, I was I was just incredibly fortunate uh, to have Absolutely. been there when it happened mm -hmm. you know to be standing there at his um at his hospital bed with my mom and my brother uh and um you know it was it was something that i'll that i cherish i mean it was tough mm -hmm. you know and it's difficult to kind of talk about it and think about sure, it again but sure 
but yeah, I was um, I was really fortunate to to be there, and I'm really glad that I was able to get back there. I think I think all of that stuff happens <clears throat> for a reason. There was a reason why you chose that specific time to travel back there. You know, whether you knew or he knew somewhere. I mean, that's just it was just sort of meant to be yeah. in a in a weird way. And I think you're right. It's you know, even if the doctor says you have six more months with this person, and they go in two weeks, you feel robbed. Yeah, you're never. You're yeah. never really prepared for something like that. Yeah, we were. Um, so just before that happened in 2011, my grandmother was not doing very well mm-hmm. either. And so my wife and I moved back to the East Coast of North Carolina. Uh, and in that three and a half year span that we were there, <clears throat> excuse me, I got to see my grandmother four times. I got to see my dad four times. Uh, and until then, you know, I had not seen them since probably 2007. You know, so I went almost seven, well, almost four years without yeah. seeing either one of them. And then I got to just cram a whole bunch of time in with them mm-hmm. while we lived in North Carolina. Uh, and then, um, you know, we just had an opportunity to get back to Oregon and we knew we wanted to do that. And so we did. And I'm just incredibly lucky. And you know, my, my grandmother passed away in 2012 and I was there. Yeah. You know, so that was uh, that was really important. I mean, she was a she was a very special lady and a mm-hmm. huge influence on me. Did you call her? Grandma or Grandma something? Mamaw. Mamaw. Yeah. Oh, gosh, you're Come from the on. South. Come on. I told you I'm from the South. So I mine was just Grandma or or Granny. I called her Granny. But anyways. And then your dad, what was your dad's name? James. James. Okay, so here's, to, here's to JJ and Mamaw. Yeah, do cheers. Like, I like that. I like yeah, that. I do too. That's I very think nice we need cheers. to incorporate wine much. in these podcasts. I think it makes everything go a little bit more smoothly, personally. <laughs> okay. Uh, high school. What were you like in high school? Um, well, so, uh, I was a bit of an odd kid back then, you know? Um, so, um, not a lot's changed, but boom, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I, I wear that on my sleeve very proudly. Thank you very much. Um, so, you know, I lettered in sports and I lettered in academics and that in a small high school, in a small Florida town, Mm -hmm. you know, full of country people, if you will. Um, you either had the jocks or you had the smart kids, you know, the geeks or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call them. And you were both. I kind of fit in in between the two, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so I had a lot of friends that were, you know, athletes, and I had a lot of friends that were academics. Uh, and so, uh, and I was in the band as well. So I kind of... Oh, man. I was I did a lot of things, but it was a lot of different various things, you know. So, so you were like a jock yeah. and a smarty pants and a band geek. Yeah, I all mean, wrapped up you know, I, I would wear you know, my, my athletic uniform to band practice sometimes because I would literally go from band practice to, mm-hmm. you know, a baseball game or something right. like that. And so I'm sitting there, you know, practicing with everybody else in my uniform and I kind of felt strange, but, <laughs> you know, but there were times where I didn't get to do things with the band because I had athletic commitments and the opposite was always, you know, was always true. I didn't okay. get to do things athletically that I might've wanted to sure. do because I had the band commitment. What'd you play? Uh, trumpet. Nice. Can you still play? I haven't played in a really, really long time, but I think I could probably, mm-hmm. you know, at least make a sound. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I still remember a few scales and things like that and some of the music that I played in high school. But, yeah, you know, I, I think I could, if I had a little nice. bit of time to practice, I could probably okay. pick it up again pretty quickly. I play piano, and <clears throat> it's so hard when you start to get back into it. I can read music, but it's tough. Yeah. I feel like a monkey trying to do a puzzle or something. You know, I, I am just in awe of people that can play piano because it really? is such a, 
I took piano lessons when mm-hmm. I was really, really young, and I could never uncoordinate, if you will, my left hand and my right mm-hmm. hand. So my, they always had to be doing the same thing, <laughs> you know. And so I could, you know, if I would, if I could play both with the same thing, it would be great. But when I started trying to play the bass line with mm-hmm. my left hand and the treble line with my right hand, mm-hmm. and they were different, I fell completely apart. That was yeah. like the ceiling that I could never get past, and I gave it up. And that's why you play the trumpet. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. So I actually, I texted your wife earlier. Oh, you did? Today. I was just curious if you had, you know, some interesting quirks about you. Oh, here we go. I wanted the dirt. Here we go. I wanted the dirt. There's a lot of it. You don't, you know, have you got a bulldozer or something? You're going to need a, like a like a 10-ton dump truck to handle all of this. One thing she said, you're highly intelligent from an ac- academic standpoint. But sometimes you lack common sense. You know, that's pretty typical, I think. I don't think that's unusual. Do you think that's unusual? Well, what does that, what does she mean by that? What does she mean by that? Um, So I may not have sense enough to get in out of the rain, but I can tell you why it's raining. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Well, we should say your wife, uh, Karen Evans, is uh, newly ish the um, executive director over at So Humane. Yeah. Southern Oregon Humane Society. Yeah, she's been there. I think she's been the ED now for a year and a half, maybe okay. two years. Okay, and doing awesome. She is. I mean, she talk about a passion project. I mean, yeah. you know, I get to do something that I'm very passionate about with mm-hmm. making wine, and she gets to do something she's very passionate about, and that's saving lives. Where did you guys meet? So she used to, well, she used to be the general manager of the restaurant that I worked in. So Where? she was the boss in Destin, Florida. Ooh, that's scandalous. Yeah, it is. So it she was your is. boss? She was. Yeah. Were you flirting with her or was she flirting with you? Um, we both kind of deny it. Okay. You know, but um, she was actually engaged to another guy at the time. This is even better. It's, I'm telling you, you are just digging up all <laughs> kinds of trash. Um, but, uh, yeah, so she was engaged to this guy. Okay. And, uh, and we met and, you know, I mean, it was a professional relationship, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but uh, after she and this guy broke up... Um, so we had known each other for a little period of time, uh, and she had to go to a wedding. She had been invited to a wedding, and after she broke up with her fiancé, mm-hmm. she was talking to her girlfriends, asking them who she should invite to go to this wedding because she didn't want to go alone. Mm-hmm. And her one of her girlfriends said, well, you should call Kylie and ask him because he looks nice in a suit. And I was nice. like, great. So it wasn't about me or anything. It was just that I look nice, nice in, in a, a suit. suit. You know, and, and she said, yeah, and I figured you wouldn't embarrass me. And so I was like, you were arm candy. You know, apparently that was my first sort of, (laughs) you know, value to the relationship, (laughs) you know. But uh, so, yeah, we went to a wedding together and had a fantastic time and it just kind of blossomed from there. Yeah. You can really tell a lot about a date at a wedding. Absolutely. Probably. And sometimes more than you want to know. Yeah. But. I mean, how much, how much this person drinks, if they like to dance, if they're social, if they're okay meeting other people. You can tell a whole lot about somebody when you take them as a date on a wedding. Absolutely. A wedding. I agree 100%. Okay, agree. so. We had a lot of fun, too. You guys started dating after that? Yeah, we started dating after that, um, and it just kind of clicked. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, you know, we were both a little bit older. You know, we weren't in our, um, you know, in our early, early 20s. We were in our mid-20s, mm-hmm. in mid to late 20s. And we realized it was just a, a really good fit. So we, excuse me, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, we got engaged in uh, the winter. So in you know November, December, 
uh, and we were starting to look at wedding dates and my grandparents anniversary was March the 28th and we looked at a calendar and it happened to fall on a Saturday mm. and so we said you know what we don't want to have a massive wedding we wanted a, a small intimate kind of gathering mm-hmm. well why don't we just go ahead and get married you know and of course now when that was announced you can imagine the scandalous rumors that began about how you know they're going to have a child in six months after the wedding and everything else. That's why they're getting married so fast. You know, this is a small, conservative little yes, town. I get it. And so, you know, next thing you know, we're getting married, you know, three months after we got engaged. And uh, and I'm sure everybody was just, rumors you know, flying. what's going to happen here and everything yeah. else. And then, of course, you know, we still don't have any children. So. Right. But it was it was really good. Um, I think I... I really appreciated Karen being so agreeable to, you know, getting married on my grandparents' anniversary as well. And it just, it's always, it was always a special day mm-hmm. uh, and even more special now. And is that, is that Mama? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's my dad's parents. I love it. <clears throat> Why did you guys decide to move out to Oregon? So, um, so I was in the restaurant industry as well as Karen uh, when we got married and, um, I was working at night and she was working during the day. Mm-hmm. And so we were passing each other in the hallway at night because when she was coming home from work, I was leaving to go to work. That's the worst. It didn't work. Uh, we knew it wasn't going to be successful long term. So we started trying to figure out or I started trying to figure out a way that I could stay involved with wine because I was a sommelier at the time. And there's something about wine that's been incredibly attractive to me for a really long period of time. But um, I wanted to stay involved with wine, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to be a daytime wine sales guy, you know, cause I didn't think that that was for me. So, um, we started looking at ways that I could stay involved with wine and not be in the sales role. And that meant production. That was the other option. So then we started looking at ways that I could get into wine production and we made a, uh, we took a trip out West, uh, visited California wine country, Napa, Sonoma. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just fell in love with the idea of being in wine production as part of that trip we went and visited a few campuses. And when we went to visit UC Davis, we met a uh, woman who was the faculty advisor for the program, for the winemaking grape growing program at UC Davis, and had a very, just a phenomenal, fast relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, we, we, it was just a, a great, a great relationship, which I still maintain. Awesome. Um, so she, uh, Judy um, Blevins is her name, and she said, you know, if you really want to do this, Here's what I would suggest you do. Uh, and so we came back to Florida, and I got in touch with Judy as the advisor at UC Davis with my advisor at the local college mm-hmm. in, right outside of Destin. And we started talking and figuring out what kind of program we needed to put together for me to matriculate to UC Davis. Oh, okay. So getting some getting some things done in Florida. Exactly. To to head out. Exactly. West. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, you know the tuition out of state tuition is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and so we wanted to. We stayed in Florida, and I did my first two years of work in Florida. Oh, nice. That would transfer to UC Davis and not have any problems with them saying, "Well, this class doesn't qualify for this or whatever mm-hmm. else," uh, which was really interesting because. Um, the college in Florida, there's no kind of agricultural focus in any way whatsoever. I wouldn't think so. You know, so when these, you know, I remember asking my advisor in Florida, is there any kind of soil science classes or anything like that? She's like, what science? Yeah. You know, we've got earth science. And I'm like, yeah, it's not exactly the same thing, but let's see if we can make it work. 
you know, so we put together this program, mm -hmm. uh, and then um, we uh, eventually ended up moving to, to California. And then was it California to Oregon? Yeah, yeah, okay. it was. I got recruited in uh, December before I graduated in June to move to Oregon, and uh, I Re started. Recruited uh, by who? Uh, Earl Jones at Abacella. Dang. Yeah, so I got recruited out of Davis. Uh, in, You're fancy. In, That's big time. That. I, I need some more. Well, okay. I need some more wine on that note. Okay. I'm not fancy. You're not fancy. Mm -mm. It's just an excuse to take another sip of this delicious wine. Well, Abacella. I mean, let's be real. One of easily the best wineries in the state. Yeah, I mean, it was a trail, it, it, and they still are. You know, pioneers. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's the first, the first winery in the state of Oregon that purposefully did not focus on Pinot Noir. You know, and so. Yeah, and, and Greg, Greg Jones, um, the son, mm -hmm. has taught at SOU, I don't know how long, but he's yeah. is kind of like the guy when it comes to, you know, climate change and what grows great where. And, mm -hmm. I mean, he's just, he's been sort of the face of Oregon wine for a long time, too. He really has been, yeah, and especially now that he's at Linfield College. Yes. Uh, you know, and they've got the entire, you know, the, the, the Evanstads were so generous in, in granting the uh, the money to start the wine program at Linfield College mm -hmm. and it's the thing I love about it so much is that it's not just a program to to grow wine and make wine it's a program that studies wine history and wine aesthetics mm -hmm. and how Oregon has been shaped um, due to the wine industry not only how Oregon has shaped the wine industry but how the wine industry has shaped Oregon uh, it's a really interesting um, concept uh, and it's going to be something that you know, in 40, 50, 100 years, people in, in the wine industry in Oregon are going to be able to look back at that and go, wow, this is why it happened. This is how it happened. You know, being able to document all of that and, and really be able to study it and, and sure. learn from it. It's huge. It's huge. Did you, were you stoked when you got that recruitment or did you know that it was that big of a deal? I mean, I think that's a big deal. I, I didn't really know it at the time. You know, um, you know I, had, I, had, I knew the Willamette Valley. Okay. Okay. Uh, I didn't know anything about any other wine regions in Oregon, you know, I, except I knew, I knew the Willamette Valley a little bit. I knew the Columbia Valley a little mm -hmm. bit because it kind of, you know, I knew it drifted down into Oregon, but I didn't really know that much about it. You know, Columbia Valley has always been Washington to me. Um, but I tasted wines from Abacella uh, mm -hmm. when I interviewed with Earl, and I tasted them, and I was like, holy cow, mm -hmm. you know, these are incredibly good wines, and from a region that I've never heard of. You're like, umpqua? Yeah, exactly. What? I was like, what is that? You know, <laughs> where, where is that again? <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, I, I tasted the wines. I, I could see the potential. Uh, and so I thought, you know what? I've never been one to really follow the book necessarily. Let's see what happens. Let's go for it and see what happens. Okay. You were uh, there how long? Seven vintages. Wow. Yeah. And you went from Abacella to, you didn't Agri go straight Ridge. to Tuhok. No, no, I didn't. So seven vintages at Abacella, um, and then I moved down to the Rogue Valley to Agate Ridge Vineyard out in Eagle Point. Right. I was there for three years, uh, and then we moved to the East Coast. Okay, so you took a break. That's right. I remember yeah. this part of the story. You actually moved to North Carolina? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, uh, and then after three years in North Carolina, uh, we had a great opportunity to move back to Oregon, and so we did. We moved back to the Rogue Valley. And was that Tuhok? No, it wasn't. That oh. was Ledger David Sellers. I'm just trying to get to Tuhok. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to get to Tuhok. Okay, so, so that was Ledger David? Yeah, I was at Ledger David for about a year, a little less than a year. Okay. Yeah, a little less than a year. Did you miss Oregon when you were in North Carolina? 
tremendously. Did you? Yes. I mean, Karen and I are both warm natured. Mm -hmm. And so being back and it wasn't as bad for me uh, because I, you know, I don't wear a suit to work anymore. Right. So I can wear shorts and whatever I feel like. And um, in wine growing areas, generally, they're pretty moderately, you know, pretty Mm -hmm. moderate as far as the climate goes. Excuse me. North Carolina was a little bit on the warm side, but that's okay. But um, yeah, the humidity was something that we thought we were going to leave sort of behind mm-hmm. just because we where we were being humidity a little closer is the worst. To the mountains. Yeah. But uh, it didn't take us very long to realize that, yeah, no matter where you go east of the Rockies, it's going to be humid. You know, and, and of the, you know, we were there for three years and there were literally maybe 15 days that it wasn't bad. You know, uh, we had and we, you know, there were some beautiful days there, too. Sure. But. I get it. I mean, it's my home. I love South Carolina. I just, the humidity just, I, can't, I just can't anymore. Not yeah. after being out here for so no. long. No. You know, it's like if you don't know how good the other ha- the other side is, you're fine. No big deal. But as soon as you know, yeah. it's hard to go back. Right. It's hard to go back. Well, speaking of, you said you get to wear shorts to work every day. Karen also said, oh boy. you often try to wear clothes that don't match. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Um, I've gotten to a point in my life where I really don't, I really am not that concerned about what other people think about what I wear. It's a good place and, to be. And, exactly. And it's Oregon. Right. You know, I mean, I've seen people wear things in Oregon and I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. that person obviously does not have a full length mirror in their house, you know, <laughs> and, and I don't have one at, well, I do have one in my house, but I don't really look at it. But, um, you know. I, I don't really worry about it too much. If I'm going to be in the public eye, I mm-hmm. do wear appropriate clothes, honey. <laughs> Sweetie pie. You know, but um, I'm, I'm, I don't know if she told you, she should have, but I'm famous for putting something on. If we're going to go somewhere, uh-huh. I'll put something on and say, can I wear this? And she usually says no. And my response is always, well, why don't you go pick out what you want me to wear? Okay. You know, and that way we don't have to, there's no more, you know, I don't have to put on three or four different yes. shirts or whatever it is. See, I, I stupidly ask my husband, hold up two dresses, which one? And he'll say that one on the left. And then I go with the one on the right. So Why do you do that? I don't know, because I think in my gut, I really want, to, I really want the one on the right. But he always picks the one, whatever, the opposite one. So he's just like, he just says, don't ask me anymore because you're going to do the opposite. Exactly. But then I'm like, no, I need your opinion. So then I know I'll do the opposite. It just, it makes sense to me. So you're purposefully playing devil's advocate with Chuck. (laughs) That is not fair. That is not fair. Sorry, honey. I got your back, Chuck. (laughs) Nice. So how did Two Hawk come about? Because a lot of us remember Two Hawk when it first opened and the Two Hawk now versus the Two Hawk then two completely different wineries. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I met Ross and Jen in 2015, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I came on board. Well, I met them in 2015. They had owned Two Hawk for not even a year at that point. Okay. Um, and they wanted to, their, their focus was, we want the wine to be better than what it is. Right. Because they said and asked me and we all agreed the wines were not good right so we wanted the wines to be better and they said how do we do that and i said i can i can help you with that here's what i would suggest doing blah 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 and so i came on board as a consultant in 2015 to help guide the production of the 2015 wines Mm -hmm. and do as what what i could do to improve the quality of the 2014 vintage wines Uh, and which which i think we did you know i think we i think the wines got better but they had always said, 
we want to have a winery facility on the property because we want to be able to estate grow, estate bottle, estate produce, everything. Which is awesome. Gives us control over the process. And so I knew coming on board as a consultant, my initial focus was improve the quality of the wines, oversee the production of the 2015 vintage and get that to a point where it's safe and, and we can leave it in barrel and, mm-hmm. and not worry about that while we start focusing on designing and building a winery. Hmm. And so right after harvest in 2015, so this is Thanksgiving-ish, Ross and I start designing the the production facility at Two Hawk. Uh, We worked on that for probably two months with uh, an architect and with a construction company, and we broke ground um, and uh, had the winery up and finished and done literally within hours of fruit coming in in 2016. It was quick. It was. It went up quick. It was. Um, I've, I don't, you know, harvest time, I'm used to working seven hours a day or seven days a week, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. Sure. But that doesn't usually start until like the third week of September. Uh, it started in May in 2016 wow. because we went to seven days in May to make sure that we could get the building done and have mm. everything in place and ready for harvest that year. And so we, we, we had a pretty intense, 2016 as a general rule was pretty intense. When did you realize, yes, I want to be at Two Hawk. Yes, I want to make wine here. Um, it didn't take me very long after meeting Ross and Jen and, mm-hmm. and getting to know them. Uh, they've got really sophisticated palates. Uh, they had a focus on quality. Uh, they were willing to do what it takes to be at the level that they wanted to be at. You know, they didn't want to be the average kids on the block they wanted to achieve at a very very high level mm-hmm. and that takes a lot of commitment it takes a lot of drive it takes a lot of focus uh, and they had all of the things that I think you need to have in this industry to be where they wanted to be and so it felt like a really good fit and they're um, also pretty great they are they're fantastic people you know I mean they're um, they're the kind of people that you don't meet every day Yes, exactly. I would agree with that. Um, we have to we have to talk about dogs, especially okay. because your lovely bride is um, the executive director over at So Humane. Um, you guys have how many dogs? Five. And you'd have more if if it were up to Karen. Oh, if it was up to Karen, we would have I don't know twenty five or thirty. <laughs> Tell me about your because I have an Italian Mastiff at home. Tell me about your. A uh, Brazilian Mastiff. Yeah, we have a, a Brazilian Mastiff uh, who is 11 years old. Oh, my goodness. He is just a, I mean, he's a senior citizen of senior <laughs> citizens, I swear. He's, you know, uh, uh, but he's incredible. I, you know, we've had him since he was a puppy, uh, and he is just, um, he, well, we've had him for half of our marriage. You know, we've been married 20 years, and we've had him literally for half mm, of our marriage. That's super special. Yeah, he is. He's a phenomenal dog, too. He is just as loving and tender mm-hmm. and caring with us and with all the little dogs as well. He doesn't like other people. You know, he, he's got his little pack and his that's little it. cave and that's his little area. That's all he needs. That's yeah. all he wants. You know, and so yeah. long as he's got that, he's very, very happy. He's very, very comfortable. I think there is a big drive with dog owners, especially that mm. your dog has to get along with other dogs. It has to get along with kids. It has to get along with people. And sometimes that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, dogs just, they kind of make up their own mind. My dog, for instance, not a big fan of other dogs. So 
that's that's just what it is. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, th- th- I accept that. You accept that. Yeah. I don't have a problem with it. I'm okay with it. You know, it's because I, I don't like other people sometimes. You <laughs> Same know? here. I mean, there are. I don't like other dogs sometimes. Exactly. You know, even better. Yeah. You yeah. know, but uh, but yeah, I mean, um, it, it's an interesting sort of pack dynamic mm-hmm. that we have. You know, we've got two Chihuahuas, we've got a, a two little mutt dogs, you know, and then we've got the Mastiff. And so we range from 125 pounds to literally four pounds, you know, and it's, it's funny to see how they all interact with each other. It's yeah. really, it, it can be really frustrating at times, as I'm sure parents are with children. Yeah. Um, but it, there are a lot of times that it's really funny and, and rewarding. And, you know, we just love sitting and watching them sometimes just run around and play. I know. And it's pure joy. All things that they do. They it are, really, they really is, is pure joy. It really is. I have this theory. I've told this uh, story a few times. But I have a theory that dogs take in all of your negative energy. They mm-hmm. just take it in from you. They, they're like, give it up to me. And then they poop it out for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how it goes away. I think you're absolutely right. Thank it's, you. It's the best therapy tool I've ever yeah. heard of. It's science. It's scientific. It, so it a lot of people won't get it. But. It is. <laughs> so I we're going to get to, we're gonna get to my uh, final three in just a second. But okay. first, Karen did say something incredibly sweet about you. She said she called you an encyclopedia about wine. You remember, she says every wine that you've had with nearly every occasion. Is this true? Well, there are wines that I remember absolutely. Do I remember every wine I've had at every occasion? No. You should have just lied right there. Well, I can't lie. I mean, you know, I gotta be truthful. Absolutely, I remember every wine. You know, yeah, if I said that, then I'm going to get a phone call or an email or something from somebody that sure. says, well, I remember having this wine 25 years ago. And I'm like, I don't have a I don't clue remember. who you are. What was, your, what, what was like one of the, the best wines that you've ever had, if you can remember? Um, well, the, the seminal moment for me as far as wine goes was a dinner party in 1989 mm-hmm. that uh, served 1986 Opus One. And so that was the first time I ever had wine, and I was, and I said, "Oh my goodness, this is unbelievable! How did this happen?" How old I were gotta, you? I would not, not going to say. Oh, so that means under twenty-one. Yeah, um, but I I tasted this, and I was just blown away. And so I at that that was the point that I started trying to read and mm-hmm. learn and you know figure all these things out about wine. Um, but I've had some other wines that really just kind of the moments that you really, really remember. Um, you know, I had a 1945 Chateau de Kim once uh, in Florida, and it just, it was one of those wines that I probably won't ever have that wine again. Mm. But I remember at that point, I was like, wow, this is special. This is unbelievable. How did you produce this? Yeah. You know, I mean, um, so there, there have been, you know, several of those wines. So you were, were you a teenager when you tasted that Opus one? Maybe. Okay, that's impressive, though, that you tasted something that you thought, oh, my goodness, this is so incredible. And that, that kind of led you on the path? Yeah, that kind of got it started. That kind of got it started. That's wild. You know, and, and uh, so I went into the restaurant industry right around that same time. And I started reading and, and just trying to learn as much as I can, like mm-hmm. I said. And it didn't take very long before I was the guy at the restaurant that knew more about wine than anybody else. That's awesome. And so I became that guy that everybody came to going, hey, they're having this. What do you? What would you serve with it? What mm-hmm. kind of wine should I suggest or whatever else? And the next thing I know, I didn't have time to really 
do my job anymore because I was so busy dealing with wine questions and, and helping other staff members out with wine. And so I went to the owner of the restaurant. And I was like, we need to do something about this because this is what direction everybody seems to be going in. Yeah. And this is what the consumers want. And maybe we should think about this. And he's like, well, you're just going to have to get off the floor and start dealing only with wine. How awesome. And so that kind of led into some other mm -hmm. more wine-specific roles. And the next thing I know, I'm at, you know, a, a, a level where I knew more about the wine program than anyone else did. Mm -hmm. uh, I had tasted more wines. I was good at pairing wines with food. I was good at talking to customers and selling wine to them. You know, and so that kind of just, you know, that's where it all kind of really developed. That's really cool. I like that. I will always remember the small back and the first time I've I tried it. Well, good. Very special podcast well, today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, final three. I'm okay. not sure if I prepped you on this, but we'll get through it. Uh, best advice you've ever been given. So you did prep me on this one. Okay, I did my job. Yeah. Um, my dad told me, whatever you do, be a man, tell the truth. It will always get you out. Ah, oh, that's good. And so I've tried my best to live that way. Um, but um, from a from a wine point of view, because we've talked about that so much, um, I once had a, a guy who was the general manager of one of the restaurants that I worked in as the wine steward. And he told me one time, he said, it doesn't matter, he said, it doesn't matter if you know how to make wine, if you don't know what good wine is. And I never really appreciated that until I got to UC Davis and I'm at this wine tasting with a bunch of other students in the program <clears throat> and you know I didn't know these people from Adam they didn't know who I was or anything but this one guy kept making these comments about the wines and it didn't strike me as necessarily he was talking about the wine in such a way that he was telling us what he tasted but it wasn't done in such a way that made any sense and I will never forget, he said, when we tasted this Pinot Noir, and he said, yeah, this has got a really nice asparagus kind of smell to it. And at that point, I just had enough. And I looked at him, and I said, so, so, I said, so since when has asparagus been a positive descriptor for Pinot totally. Noir? And totally. he gives me this look, like, how dare you question something I would say? And I was like, you know, great, you smell asparagus, that's wonderful. Don't tell the world you smell asparagus. Yeah. People want to know what it smells like in a positive way. That's, you know, that's just not, that's not doing it for me. Anyway. I didn't realize, advice. well, first of all, there's asparagus, the vegetable. It smells okay, I guess. But when you eat asparagus, what comes later is not pleasant at all. No. No, it's got a very unusual, well, the texture is unusual. The flavor can be really, really strange. But I'm talking about when you go to the bathroom after the fact. Trish, we're trying to keep this at least PG. It's asparagus pee, and it doesn't smell good. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. We don't. Okay, people can we'll figure that out for themselves. <laughs> I didn't have Goodness to spell it gracious. out. No, no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> it was important. It was. Yes. If you ever, if you ever left this place, Southern Oregon, uh, what would you miss the most? What would bring you back? Oh gosh, um, what would bring me back to Southern Oregon? Um, you know, the wine industry would definitely bring me back. Mm -hmm. But outside the wine industry, um, I just love the outdoor activity options that we have mm -hmm. in the Rogue Valley. Mm -hmm. um, I love to hunt, fish, and play golf. 
And so the fishing around here is amazing. You know, the you're in like the perfect place for all three of yeah. those. I mean, I love I love being on the Rogue River. Uh, it's it is just one of the most magical things uh, I've I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that would you know that would bring me back. Awesome. That would definitely bring me back. And if you were ever given a final meal and a final drink, what would that look like? Should I have prepped you on this question? Yeah, also? you should have because this <laughs> it's I a mean, doozy. It, that's a big one. I know, you know, especially for a foodie and and wine people, um, it's it's always tough. Although Liz Wan's answer to this question, brilliant, spot on. Yeah, she she nailed it. Um, you know, I, I really I really don't I haven't really given it that much thought, honestly. I mean, I think it would depend. You know, I've heard so. Is interesting on the radio a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listened to this show and it's kind of a talk show thing on the radio but one of the staff of the radio station was getting ready for a colonoscopy and they said all right you know he hadn't eaten in like three days or whatever Mm -hmm. and and just starving when you come out of it and they said so what's going to be your go-to meal okay and he's like well it might actually have to be a cheeseburger and a hot dog yeah and i'm like okay i can understand that but if it's your last meal ever i i don't know i mean I can I can honestly say, um, sautéed king crab and a great bottle of white burgundy. Mm. That might be really good, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but if I'm in the mood for a steak, I would love to have a bone-on filet mignon and a great bottle of uh, I don't know, a great bottle of Malbec, great bottle okay. of Bordeaux, uh, you great can do it bottle all. of Napa Cab. You can do it all because it's your final meal. Yeah. Have courses. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, first course would definitely be some kind of shrimp. Second course would definitely be a little soup, maybe a little salad. A little soup. Yeah. Third course would be a pasta dish because there's a, a, when we lived in North Carolina, we found an Italian restaurant that was off the charts. Uh, some of the best Italian food I've ever had. And their carbonara was brilliant mm. every single time. And they did not use cream in the carbonara. Just egg yolks? As it should be done. Just yeah, egg yolks. Just egg yolks. Mm. Uh, but a carbonara with a great glass of Suave Classico, that'd be a really nice little third course. Yeah, this question was really hard for you to answer. Jeez. It's not a good answer. I mean, there's one answer, you can't, I can't limit myself to only one answer to that question. That's just too, that's just too much. I know. I feel you. I'm the same way. That's why you have to go in courses. Definitely. If so what was Liz's answer? Oh, Liz was, uh, well, you'll have to listen. <laughs> Did you like that? Well played. That's what I call a tease. <laughs> well played. She she went right into courses. She didn't even ask, can I do courses? She just went there. I know she ended with a good, she said, I wanted to end with a good glass of whiskey or scotch. I can't remember. Yeah, I would end up with a glass of uh, Sauterne for mm-hmm. sure. I'm not, much yeah. of a, I'm not much of a liquor drink guy. But uh, yeah, a really nice glass of Sauterne or a glass of Porter. Actually, since it's the last meal, I'll have one of each, please. Yeah, yeah, one of each, please. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play. Check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com. Just click on Features and then Off Script. Kylie Evans, it has been a pleasure. Trish, pleasure's all mine. <laughs>